Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 when i was young i had a love-hate relationship with these things right here do you guys recognize what these are anybody know what these are ankle weights right anybody have a love-hate relationship with these ankle weights right so look i'm going to strap these weights on this morning when I was young, I know you can't tell because of my dad bod figure today, but in my younger days, I was actually a pretty good athlete, and I was a fighter. I know you probably wouldn't recognize that in my character either, but I was a martial artist, and so when I was five years old, I began, and I went till I was about 14 years old. I got my black belt at 12. I fought in many, 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 many tournaments, and so my instructor would put these ankle weights on. And we would spend the classes doing our bag work when we would kick the bags and kick the kicking targets. We would use these ankle weights, and they would weigh you down. They were heavy. It was difficult to do anything with the ankle weights because you feel like you're always tethered to the earth. You're always stuck to the ground, right? But when it came time to fight and we put on our pads and we get into you know, an actual fight where we'd fight an actual opponent, the ankle weights would come off, and guess what? My feet were really light, and I kicked harder and I kicked faster, and I was more agile, and things worked better because I had strapped the weights to my ankles during that time. Now, here's the thing. Another great use for these, maybe some of you didn't fight or you're not in martial arts or anything like that, but you maybe use these when you were training for track or for cross-country and, and running, right? And you do the same thing. You put these ankle weights on, and you would run during your training so that when you take the weights off and it's time to actually run in the race, you run that much faster. You don't have the extra weight bogging you down. Now, bearing that in mind, let's read what Paul says here to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12, pick it up in verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I'm running for a purpose here, Paul said. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm still running the race with everything that I've got, right? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I'm forgetting the old man. I'm forgetting the world, and I'm running in a newness of life. I'm running towards the kingdom. 
I have a new destination in mind. I'm running for something that really matters now. The race actually has purpose now. I forget what was behind and what I knew in my Judaism days when I had studied all of my life, what I thought religion looked like. I'm leaving that behind now, and I'm running with purpose. Look at this, verse 14. He says, I press on. I'm running with everything that I've got. I am exerting myself to the point of exhaustion because this race is worth it. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm running for. I'm running for the prize of one day being in the presence of my Savior. I press on towards that. He goes on, look at what he says. Verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk to the example that you have seen in us. Watch the people who are running the race well. Watch the people who are really truly running with purpose. Watch those people and imitate those people and follow after those people. Try to keep pace with those people. Run the race by their side, Paul says. Watch the way I'm running and just keep up. Verse 18, for many, this is sad, for many whom I have told you often and now tell you even with tears. I'm broken over this. I'm weeping over this. They now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They used to be in the race. We thought they were a part of the body. We thought they were a part of the bride. They had their eyes set on the prize as well, but they're no longer running the race. They gave up somewhere. It got too difficult. They didn't really forget what was behind. They forgot the race was worth running. Verse 19 The end for them is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame. Look at this. With their minds, their minds are set on earthly things. They're so distracted by worldliness. They have lost sight of what the race was being run towards. And now they're distracted with the world. They're distracted with the earthly things. They're distracted with fleshly things. They're pursuing their own desires, their own passions. Their God is their belly. Destruction is what awaits them. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Remember that this is worth running for, that this is worth fighting for. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, turn back with me to Romans chapter 13, where we will be, where we will park ourselves for the morning. Romans chapter 13, by way of refresher, remember what's going on here, is you have Paul, who for the first 11 chapters is explaining doctrine after doctrine, teaching after teaching, to those who would listen, to the church in Rome. He's unfolding these amazing He calls them mercies of God, these amazing truths. And now in chapter 12, there's a shift from all of this doctrinal stuff to now an application, a shift from doctrine 
to application, to practice. Now, how do we live this out? What does this mean for me? Now, how should I change the way that I live? Again, remember what we just read in Philippians chapter three? There are some, they forgot what they were running for. They forgot what their life should be consumed with. They started living for the earth, for the world again, rather than for the kingdom. Now, in chapter 13, Paul here is going to continue on this same train of thought. This is how we should live our lives. Our citizenship is not here. We cannot be tethered to the earth. We cannot be tied to the earth. If we're still walking around with weights on our ankles tied to the world, we're not running the race yet. You understand that? You wear the weights when you're in training. If you go to run the race with the weights still around your ankle, you're going to lose. What are we running for? What does this look like? How should my life look in order to reflect the glory of God in through me? That's what we're going to look at here in Romans chapter 13. There's this constant tension in each of our lives between wanting to do the things that the Lord has called us to do. We really truly want to seek after the things of the Lord. But then there are these distractions that the enemy just keeps plopping in our laps over and over and over again. And these things just distract us. They consume our thoughts. They consume our worries. We're up in the middle of the night thinking about them. And they keep us from looking to the finish line. Look at what it says here, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. We'll read a few verses together and then we'll pause. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the God that has appointed them. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, and carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes to the authorities who are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. If you have your outlines, pull those out. We're going to begin filling in those outlines now. Your first point that we're going to look at from Romans chapter 13 this morning is that as a believer, you have to live a life that is in subjection to the government. Ouch, right? There's a lot of you right now that are like, man, you mean I've got to take down my militia flags and my garage, right? You've got to live in subjection to the government. If you're going to apply all of these amazing doctrinal truths, now this is the practical portion that comes in. Paul says, listen, you're going to have to learn to live in subjection to the government. What does this mean? Look at verse one again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. The word subjection means to fall in order or to fall into rank. It's like an army that is lined up and ordered by rank in report to their general. Or maybe some of you in law enforcement, you have these exercises where you get in your blues, you get in your dress uniforms, and everyone's in order and organized by rank, and you're presenting yourselves to the chief or to the sheriff or whoever's at the front of the line, right? And so that's what this word literally means, to be subject to, that you're all in order. You fall in order. You fall into rank, right? Let everyone be in subjection 
to the governing authorities, to fall into order, to fall into rank. Now, it's fitting here that we pause just for a moment and we try to understand and wrap our heads around the audience to whom Paul is writing. Because these people were sitting under very wicked rulers. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that sounds a lot like today. You know, and we're trying to not get too political in this, but obviously there's going to be some political overtones and overtures in this text because we're talking about government, right? But these guys, when I say wicked, they were wicked. They had heard stories of Herod. You realize Herod, King Herod, who was put in place by the Roman government to look over the Jewish people, that he actually killed all of the children under two years of age at one point in time because he was hoping to be able to find and kill Jesus before he rose to fame. You realize his son Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist, married his brother's sister, Right? These men were wicked. When Paul was writing this text to the church in Rome, Romans itself was written when Caesar Nero was in place. Caesar Nero ascended to the title of Caesar at the age of 15. By 22, he was so perverse and perverted, he had killed his mother by the age of 22. He's the one who killed the apostle Peter, who judged the apostle John, right? who killed one disciple, one apostle after another. Paul himself is here waiting trial before Nero. And many Bible scholars believe that Nero was actually the one who sentenced Paul to death as well. And this is the person that Paul is writing about saying, hey, you need to be subject to the governing authorities. He was a wicked, wicked, wicked person, right? But look at this. There's a reason why he says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Why does he say this? Because he says, you, you have to understand that when I'm asking you to be subject to these wicked people, I know and I understand that even though those people are seated upon a throne, there's only one throne that matters, and God is on that throne, and he is sovereign, and he sees what is happening. So you trust in God when things in the government, when things in your country, when things nationally do not make sense, do not become distracted by those things, Fix your eyes on one throne because no one has any authority except that it is given by God. The scripture says that God in Daniel chapter 2 that he raises up one kingdom and he pushes down another. That he exalts one and he suppresses another. It says in Psalm chapter 75. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Right? Now, this is what I want you to understand. God is on that throne. And do you not think, do you not believe for a moment that God can use whoever is in the White House, whoever is in the governor's mansion or whatever they call that place? I don't know. That, do you not think that God cannot use these people to accomplish his will, no matter how wicked they might be? We can't be so distracted by what's happening down here in the world, on the earth, where we're tethered to, that we forget that God is doing something bigger in the heavenlies. I want my heart to be consumed with what he is doing, not with what they are doing. Something bigger is at play here. Now, I've said this before in passing during sermons before. I truly believe that the people, especially here in, in a republic like we do where we elect our officials where we elect our leaders that our elected officials are a reflection of the heart of the people and if you want to exert some sort of change in the leadership you have to focus on changing the hearts of the people why are the people in 
power that are in power because the people who elected them to put them there have perverted hearts, have a scarred conscience. There's something wrong with us if we don't like the people that are leading us, us as a whole, our community as a whole. The only way to change that is to get serious about the gospel. They reflect us. Our leaders are a reflection of the state of the hearts of the people. And here's the thing. Do you not think for a moment that God couldn't use some of those people to execute his judgment to bring our hearts to a place of repentance? Have you read your Old Testament lately? Have you seen how over and over and over again, when the children of Israel's hearts were led astray, what did God do? He raised up a wicked king in their midst or a foreign king to come in and to execute judgment amongst the nation of Israel, amongst the Jewish people, so that their hearts would turn back to him. Are you willing to let America crumble so that people's hearts can be saved? Because that's what's at stake here. Right, So this word says, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted. The word instituted means appointed or ordained. That that is a God-ordained thing that has happened. And so, yes, we like to talk about free elections, but here's the thing. God knew exactly who was going to be in the White House before it happened. It was not a surprise. He wasn't waiting on the edge of his seats to see what was coming back from Florida and Ohio. He knew exactly what was going to happen instituted by God. There are three major institutions that God has ordained. One is family, and there's an order to family, right? That the husband's supposed to be a covering to the family, a protector to the family, right? That he's to do that. The same thing in the sense of a church, that there's an order to church. There's an order to church leadership and the way that a church is supposed to function. Well, the government is the same way. There's supposed to be an order to this. It's instituted by God. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing so you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, this is what Peter says. This is how you should live. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Use your freedom and just live in service to God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Be subject to every human institution that God has put in place. Back in Romans, look at what Paul says here. He says, those exist, those institutions that exist, those leadership, that leadership structure, the authority that exists, it's been placed there, instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists the God, resists God who appointed them. Now, I hope that this really kind of stings us just a little bit. Because what this verse is saying is that we can cross a line somewhere to the point to where it no longer becomes about us expressing ourselves politically, but we're actually resisting the will of God. We can get to the point to where we cross the line and we're no longer trying to be a champion for the rights of the people, but we're actually trying to trump the will and the heart of God. He who resists these authorities resists God. The word resist, it means to stand on the field of battle in opposition to. Is there anyone in this room that wants to be found an enemy of God? I don't. I don't want to get anywhere near that. But here's the thing. There are so many of us, or so many in the church today, that have taken politics to the point to where we actually are trying to force our will or our thoughts rather than 
surrendering to and accepting and following after the will and the heart of God. I don't want to be found in opposition to the Lord. He appointed these things, it says. Again, that word means to order or to decree, to speak it forth. That God spoke these people forth, that he decreed that these people would be there. In other words, it's all a part of God's plan. What if the heart of the person that you love the most, that is not walking with the Lord, will not be saved, will not turn to the Lord unless they experience a season of difficulty? See, David wrote in Psalm 23, you know, this most famous psalm of all the psalms, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So when did he have this revelation that God was with him? When did he realize that the rod and the staff were there to comfort him? When did he realize this? He realized it when he was in the valley of the shadow of death, when things looked bleak. When things were depressing, when he was lost, when he didn't know where to turn, all of a sudden in that valley, he looked up and he saw this vision of God and said, God, you've got me. When did the prodigal son come to his senses and realize that things in his father's house were better for the servants than the life he was living? It was when he was in the pig pen, in the mud, in the mire, that he came to his senses and he remembered what it was like in his father's kingdom. Maybe... We as a country need to be drugged through the mud. Maybe we need to come down to the depths of the valley so that we actually look up and our hearts return to the Lord. Are you willing to allow America to go to that place so that people's hearts would be awakened? What's really more important? Again, and we dig our feet in the ground and we're so tethered to the earth and to worldliness and we say, this is not right, this is not what I want, but what does God want? What is God trying to do? What if revival only takes place after we get to the point of desperation and we're in the valley of death and we're in the mire with the pigs that we have to look up and say, God, help me. Is it worth it? It says, God has appointed these things. This is a text that I think of often. This is a grave, grave word that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And in context, he's speaking about someone who is caught in gross sexual sin. But this is what he says about this brother who will not repent of his sin. And when we read this verse, what I want you to try to see is that, you know, instead of thinking of a brother who's caught in sexual immorality, think about a nation that has wandered from the Lord. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Speaking of the one who will not repent, who refuses to repent. They've come to him, they've exposed the sin, they said, look, this is sinful the way that you're living, and he refuses to repent and to turn from that sin. This is what Paul says to do with his brother. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, you know what? If you won't repent, then you know what? You're going to have to just take your hands off of this brother. You're going to have to allow his sin to eat him alive. You're going to have to allow his sin to bring him to the valley of death. You're going to have to allow his sin to bring him to a pig pen where he's wallowing in the mire. He's going to have to experience great loss and suffering because maybe then he will come to his senses and in the day of judgment, his soul will be received in the presence of the Lord. Deliver his flesh to destruction. The word destruction means ruin or annihilation. Let him be annihilated in the flesh because what really matters is that his soul is saved. I wonder about America. And we want to fight to keep America from falling, but maybe America needs to fall so that God can lift us up.
Right? And so here's this thing. We can get to the point to where we want to exert our will over God's will. And we say, Lord, this isn't right. This isn't what I want to see happen. This isn't the person I want to see in office. And we get distracted by immigration and healthcare and the economy and all of these things that God uses maybe, just maybe, so that he could turn people's hearts to him and people's souls can be saved. To me, it's worth it. But what do we do in the church? I mean, in the church. We stand up here and we try to champion the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all of these things. But you know what? Here's the thing. The Bill of Rights, right? The freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and the freedom of the press and the right to protest and the right to bear arms. What good is any of that stuff if people are still bound by sin? But we've made that more important, haven't we? A lot of us in the church. How come those rights and those liberties are more important to the church of Jesus Christ than seeing people set free from their sin? That's the only liberty that matters. That is the only freedom that matters. You can take the rest of my rights as long as I'm free in Jesus. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977